afternoon from the KLX Studios in Berkeley, California. I'm Franklin, and this is Berkeley Rocks. That's right. It's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. I'm Charles Lee. Coming up on today's show, California missions and baby galaxies. In addition, we'll be joined by Mr. David Perry, who will discuss malware. So stay tuned for all this. Plus the Rocketron 5000. And the world-famous question of the week. Coming right up. Here. On the Berkeley Rocks Science Show. Berkeley Rocks, I'm Frank Ling. And I guess that makes me Charles Lee. How you doing, Frank? Pretty good. Are we up to the next president yet? It feels like we should be. I know, man. I've been waiting so long. <laughs> in fact, my sole purpose in life, really, is just to wait out this president. In fact, our whole show has been overshadowed <laughs> by the same president. I know. Right? We, we started at the same time as the president, and damn it, if we're not going to outrun his presidency. <laughs> Many of the time, I would have liked to throw in the towel with the show, but damn it, we have to beat Bush. <laughs> One more year, huh? <laughs> One more year. But congratulations, by the way, on another year of a fine show. Congratulations, Charles. Indeed. It's, it's exactly seven years, right? It's exactly seven years since we started of this travesty of nature. <laughs> that is the Berkeley Rock Science Show. <laughs> and to all our listeners out there, we can only apologize profusely. <laughs> I thought nobody was listening. Oh, that's And of course, it'll be proven because as soon as this airs, we'll get absolutely no congratulatory letters of our seven-year anniversary. <laughs> anyway, congratulations. High five. Hey, high five, high five. So you think the Republican Party was finally sponsor us? <laughs> you know, one can only hold out hope, right? <laughs> Anything could happen. Anyways, but science goes on, right? Yes, it does. And science is what uh, keeps the sun revolving around <laughs> the earth, right? Because <laughs> everything goes around the earth. Oh, gravity sucks. I need a story, actually. Well, I think the big story, of course, is that we're still on the air after seven years. <laughs> uh, astronomers, though, have uh, finally spotted some very small and young galaxies, which represent the building blocks of full-size galaxies such as the Milky Way. Well, so it's like Legos, huh? <laughs> They're the building blocks of nature, right? <laughs> small galaxies. You think I can get that at Toys R Us? Maybe at the Universal God's Toys R Us, if he has one. <laughs> anyway, so people have been looking for the building blocks, the Legos, if you were, of galaxies for quite some time, and they haven't found them. And the problem was what they really needed were two things, patience and really good instruments. Turns out the two groups, astronomers from the University of Cambridge in the UK and from the Carnegie Institution in Pasadena, focused both of their telescopes on a patch of sky for about 92 hours, and in that period they were able to capture the spectra of these hydrogen gas clouds, which are formation, the building blocks of large galaxies. Oh, okay. So not just for stars then, these clouds? <laughs> no, it's not just for stars anymore, silly rabbit. <laughs> so now more researchers probably use this uh, longer exposure time, longer techniques, try and go for much more dimmer uh, objects, because apparently what you're seeing, of course, are the most bright objects at this present time. Right. Anyway, published in a recent edition of the Astrophysical Journal. So, Charles, what's the best thing about unprotected air? <laughs> they warned me about unprotected air in school. I didn't listen. Now look at my lungs. <laughs> yeah, don't take it up, man. Give it up by not taking it up. It means you should not be sucking in tailpipe emissions. To... I've tried to limit my intake of tailpipe emissions to just three a day. It's like three packs of cigarettes, right? Well, you need one for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. California and a bunch of states are fighting the EPA, the federal EPA, to have their rights to define how much pollution can come out of your cars. 
the EPA is saying that the states do not have a right because it's federal authority and that's more efficient if there was one federal standard, which actually is not very strong compared to what California and New York and a lot of other states want to do to have stringent requirements for how much greenhouse gases can come out of your tailpipes. So the EPA, which is, of course, led by the administration and under pressures from the automakers are preventing states from defining more stringent requirements for these emissions, mm. that is to have lower emissions. I see. The fight's still continuing. There's been a congressional hearings, but so far uh, the EPA is not budging and this administration is not budging at all. Hmm. Uh, it'll be interesting where this is going to go since traditionally the EPA has granted states the rights to do that until this very year or hmm. actually late last year. We'll see where greenhouse gas emission policy is going to go in this country. <laughs> <laughs> the filibuster somewhere. This could be a very big deal because this could mean that your SUVs or your uh, high-polluting cars are going to cost a lot more. As well they should in a way, right? Yes. You need to reflect the actual cost of the environments in, right. the, in the cars. This is ongoing news. It's going to come in form of legal challenge. California and the states are probably going to sue the EPA. We'll mm-hmm. see where it goes. Mm-hmm. Very cool. And that's all for a look at recent developments in the world of science and technology. This is the Berkeley Grox Science Show. Well, coming up in just a few minutes, Mr. David Perry will join us to discuss malware. So stay tuned. Science Show. Well, it has now been 25 years since the first computer virus. Those pesky malicious programs that run the gamut from harmless pranks to system-wide failure. But in the 25 years, antiviral software has struggled to keep pace. How are we doing on the war on the computer virus? Well, joining us today to discuss this issue is Mr. David Perry. Mr. Perry is the Global Director of Education for Trend Micro, a computer antivirus software company where he represents them at industry, government, customer, and reseller events worldwide. Mr. Perry, thank you very much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Thanks for having me on. Uh, it's really our pleasure, and I think uh, this is certainly something that everyone nowadays has to put up with every now and then is the computer virus. It's hard to believe that's been 25 years. I wonder if you maybe get a little bit of a history of the first computer virus. 25 years ago, a ninth grader, a 15-year-old kid named Rick Screnta, working on an Apple II, wrote a program he called Elk Cloner, and it would attach itself to the boot sector of your Apple II diskette. This is before there were hard drives. You, did you use computers before there were hard drives? Oh, of course, of course. Do you remember having buckets and barrels and boxes and sacks of diskettes everywhere? And it was a big deal how you could get discount diskettes. I remember user groups used to get together and they would... So people had vast, uncontrolled quantities of diskettes. Well, Rich Screnta invented this, and A.K. Dudney of Scientific American took it up as a cause celebre. It was kind of a scientific novelty of its day, like the donkey bird or the radiometer. And so people would write into Dudney, and he would send them a copy of this elk cloner. It wasn't yet known as a virus. And at the same time, of course, there was other parallel research being done 
on mainframes, et cetera. But this was the, pretty much the first place it came to the public eye. From that, we went to the second virus, which was called the apple worm, and then to another virus and another virus and another virus. Today, the problem is really not so much viruses anymore. You know, a virus is a very specific piece of malware. A virus means that it replicates. A virus has to make copies of itself and attach those copies to other programs. That's what makes a virus a virus. So really the only problem with these initial viruses was that they just made copies of themselves and they really didn't do anything particularly bad to the system. Right. No, the first one, the Elk Cloner that we were talking about, that actually wrote a poem to your screen <laughs> and had no other effect. In fact, it doesn't have to have an evil effect to be called a virus. It's funny. The guy who named them viruses was Fred Cohen. Professor Fred Cohen of Lehigh University in his doctoral dissertation, which was called A Brief History of Computer Viruses, or A Brief Story Lesson of Computer Viruses. And Dr. Cohen wanted to name them viruses because they replicate and attach themselves to other pieces of computer code. He told me a couple of years ago that he wishes he never named them that, that there was too much connotation on that name. He wanted to name them self-replicating cellular automata. Hmm. I told him it wouldn't fit on the box. <laughs> So it's, a, it's been a long trip. We've all remembered all of the big virus panics in the 90s. We remember the Michelangelo virus, the Melissa virus, the love bug, the code red. And viruses have become an integral part of our mythology as a people so that everybody has, you know, these popular myths about viruses. And in many cases, what we're fighting are the myths and not the viruses themselves. But today, today we've got something else entirely going on. Man. Remember I said that to be a virus, you have to replicate? Mm -hmm. Today's malware, malware is the big umbrella term. Mm -hmm. You know, you have viruses, trojans, worms, root kits, mm -hmm. adware, spyware, botnets, trojans, backdoors, trapdoors, key loggers, lions and tigers and bears, <laughs> oh my, right? Mm -hmm. There's a whole menagerie of stuff out there. But it, oh, it's all called malware for malicious software. And most of the malware we see today instead of being written by pranksters, instead of being written by vandals, by anybody trying to hurt your system, today it's all being written by international organized crime. And I mean that in dead earnestness. The number of people who are having their identities stolen and who are having their bank accounts broken into and all of the various bad things that happen as a result of malware is skyrocketing. There's millions of people. Last year, according to the FBI, 15 million Americans had their identities stolen. That's humongous. And this is, of course, the fastest growing crime in the history of crime. So there's a lot of this going around. There's a lot of this happening. People having their identity stolen, people having their credit card numbers stolen, and so on and so on. That's virtually the purpose behind all of the malware that we see today. And rather than being printed like a virus, this stuff is coming to you directly from viewing a web page. It's what we call web-based threats. And, you know, it's being written by professional programmers at the behest of criminals. And there's no symptom. There's no clue. You get no clue that there's anything going on because it's well enough written that it doesn't give you one. So what is the first sign then that you... Your bank account clears out. <laughs> okay. That would be the first thing you would know. Well, actually, what you need to do, since you can't see it with the bare eye, it doesn't slow down your system. Some of this stuff is clever enough to monitor when you use your system and only get in and be intrusive when you're not around. It's that clever. Right, so that being the case, and so many systems being infected, we're talking all types of malware put together, nearly half of all the systems in the world. Wow. 
And when I talk about websites that are infected with viruses and Trojans and worms that download and put backdoors and trapdoors and keyloggers on your system, I'm talking about 10% of all websites worldwide. And the number is even a, just a little bit higher here in the United States. So that's that, those are fairly severe. I'm not telling you to go hide under a cupboard someplace. It's not going to make anything blow up. But if you don't know what you need to protect at this point in time, if you're not clear on what it is that you're doing to protect things or what it is that you need to do to protect things, you really probably shouldn't be doing anything commercial online. Maybe you can give some good advice for uh, what people can do to avoid uh, becoming infected by malware. Yeah, the very first thing I'm going to say is get some education. You can go whatever provider you use. If you use the yellow box people or the M people or anybody, right, whatever protection you're getting, they have educational materials on their website for you that are sitting there. This is why I'm called the director of education. Is this, this task falls to me. <laughs> you really need to go out and find out what's going on. It's, you need to spend about an hour and read through the materials and find out what's going on. Because if you don't, then you don't know actually how to properly use the software that you purchased. It's not a suit of armor. It's more like an insurance policy. And you really need to get in there and get a little bit involved. About an hour a year should do it. And that's very little to ask. But I would ask you to please, please pay attention to that. And then I would also ask you, if you're browsing the web, if you're buying online, if you're shopping online, and I do these things. I buy, I buy things online. You, you buy things online, right? Of course. Yeah. I buy rock and roll vinyl online, hand over fist, and, and books from Amazon. And I'm, I really enjoy the world the way it is. I think the, the Internet has brought a lot of wonderful things to our lives. I'm able to look up things in a flash that I would have to run, get in my car and go to the library for 20 years ago. But... If it's going to expose my credit rating and my credit card and my identity to theft, then what I need to do is take precautions. Well, we have a free precaution we'd like to offer your readers. They can go to www.trendsecure.com and download Trend Protect. Trend Protect will actually bind into your browser, whether you use Mozilla or Internet Explorer. And I would like to encourage everyone to think about using Mozilla because I think it's a lot safer. And whatever browser you're using, and it rates every web page that you look at and every web page that you go to. It gives you a stoplight rating on it, red, yellow, green. And there are other products in the world that do this sort of thing, but ours is very unique in that when it does it, it dynamically tests that website. Every website that it rates, it's testing right here and now. It's not looking at a list to see what was going on yesterday. It goes out and looks at the website itself. We're doing this right now 4 billion times a day. And it's running off of a service we call a web reputation service that lives in the Internet cloud. And it's called Trend Protect. You can download it and use it for free. And it's on www.trendsecure.com. Um, so what can people do if they find out that they've been infected? Is there a way to easily clear their system out? Well, yeah. depends on the depth of the infection. We used to tell nobody to reformat their system. But these days, again, if you don't know what you're doing, then don't do this, okay? But if you have system backups and if you are looking at something that's going to be elaborate, an elaborate removal procedure, you're probably better off these days doing a reformat and reload of your system information. That sounds so drastic. I'm, you're asking me all the questions that lead me to the bad news. <laughs> the good news is things are changing. The operating system is evolving. We're kind of coming out of the infancy of the computer era. I'm looking at Vista right now. I'm sitting in front of a Vista machine. It's, it's a lot safer than we've ever had an operating system be in the past. It's not perfect. It's going to have some problems. There have already been some problems discovered with it, but it is a lot safer. And also, of course, there's many people who advocate going to Linux or going to Macintosh. 
those are very sound strategies for protecting yourself right now. But you have to realize that we're talking about this is no longer people who are amateurs. This is people who are making at least tens of billions, if not hundreds of billions of dollars off of this. This is organized crime we're talking about. So they are likely to adapt their techniques every time we dodge out of the way. You did mention, are there certain operating systems that are a little bit more secure? Or yeah, just, absolutely. Uh, yeah. And it's funny. It's, this is a funny point because the Macintosh operating system is everyone will tell you who uses a Macintosh that's more secure, right? I have several Macintoshes and a lot of Windows machines and a couple of Linux machines in a network here in my house. And the Macintoshes are against ordinary threats. They are pretty much completely opaque. And the reason for that is that there's so few people comparatively in the world using Macintoshes mm -hmm. that it doesn't make a viable attack. Would you rather attack 97% of the computing <laughs> population or 3% of the computing population? Right. And that's pretty much where the real numbers are for PC versus Mac. If Mac is a good solution for you, then good. And there are things that it is absolutely fantastic at. I record music on my Mac. I use GarageBand. I use all of the various things that the Mac does. It does beautifully. So I, I'm very happy with that. And it's, it is more secure. Also, if you are more technical and more want to be more of a garage mechanic with your operating system, you can get down and dirty with Linux. And you will end up learning how your computer works <laughs> if you use Linux. And if that prospect really makes you want to run away, then maybe that's not the course of action for you. So, so I'd say don't despair because the Internet itself is being rebuilt to be more secure. Operating systems are being built to be more secure. On the flip side of that, on the darkest side of that, I think we haven't hit bottom yet. I think there's still many things yet to discover about computer security, and many of them will be quite unhappy. Well, it sounds like it's sort of an ongoing battle between the criminals and the people who are trying to stop them from stealing our identity here. Absolutely. And this is, this is job number three at the FBI. This is now the number three priority they have at the FBI. I was just at the Virus Bulletin Conference in Vienna last week, and there were no fewer than a dozen FBI agents in attendance. Mm. They're studying up the same as all of us, listening to the researchers, finding out what's going on, because they believe, just like I believe, that this is the future of where information... You know, it's, it's funny. If I talk about money, if we think about money, do you think about paper money or a checkbook or a credit card or what comes to your mind when I mention money? It's really more nowadays it's credit, right? Well, actually, only about a percent of the money is ever printed into paper money or coined hmm. into coins. Almost all of the money, well over 99% of the money in the world, is on computers. That's where it is. You remember the story of Willie the actor Sutton, the famous bank robber, when they arrested him in 1949, looked at the reporter and who asked him, why do you rob banks, and said, that's where the money is? The money's on computers. The money's online. That's why they're robbing them. That's why this is happening. So that this is the actual, not just the most insecure place, it's the only place there is money, is on, is on computers. We think the bank has a sheet of paper written down with all of No, it has a computer that shows where the money is. And the money can be gotten to electronically. It can be transferred electronically. And everywhere there's a point of transfer, there's a weak point, And that's where these people are attacking. Shopping online, banking online, even something as innocuous as a cell phone bill or a World of Warcraft account. Everything's negotiable out there. How aware do you think most people are about the various threats to their identity? I don't think they are at this yeah. point. I think that people believe in spam because they can see it. Mm -hmm. And then I tell them about web threats that they can't see and they can't hear and don't make physical impact and aren't visible to them. They think, well, why should I care about this? What's the point? 
once they've been hacked, then they get it. Then they <laughs> know what the point is. Right. Uh, well, it looks like we're running slightly out of time. I'm just wondering if you have maybe some final words on the whole issue of viruses, what people can do, and maybe a little bit more about your company. Oh, okay. Trend Micro is the third largest antivirus company in the world. We just released Trend Micro Internet Security, TIS 2008. It has special anti-crime provisions. For example, it encrypts everything that passes between your keyboard and your browser so that keyloggers, which are the payload that, that follow along and re- listen to every keystroke, can't work. It's a great piece of software. Check it out it's wherever fine software is sold or at www.trendmicro.com. Finally, I would, I'm going to make a point that I think is really important. We use technology to live up to our mythology. You know, we may not have a flying carpet, but we've got a 737. And we may not have open sesame in Alibaba and the 40 Thieves, but we have passwords. And what's the difference? And a computer virus is the manifest destiny of a magic spell or a curse. It's words that have power to do damage in the world. And this is our creation. It comes from our society. And the Internet comes from our society. And it comes from who we are. So that everything that we are as a people, we are on the Internet. There's correspondence. There's courtship. There's commerce, and there's fraud and theft and forgery because those things are in us. We can't fix the Internet unless we can fix us. Mm. So this will always be with us to some extent or another. My hope is that we can take away the big advantage that automation has given these criminals and bring it back down to just like a nuisance like it was before. Indeed, indeed. Well, that's a very interesting, I think, very true perspective, and uh, I hope everyone will pay heed to that. Well, Mr. Perry, I do want to thank you very much for joining us today and, of course, talking about all the fascinating developments in computer malware. Well, you're welcome. And we're just listening to Mr. David Perry discussing malware. This is the Berkey Grox Science Show. Well, coming up in just a few minutes, it's the Grokatron 5000 and the world-famous Question of the Week. So stay tuned. If you get the game. It's the Grokatron 5000. It is, of course, our supercomputer, which was formerly known as Deep Blue. Today, the Grokatron 5000 has chosen the topic malware or not. So for the following five people, the Grokatron 5000 would like to know if they uh, could be considered malware or not, and maybe a little reason why. Mr. Perry, are you ready to play our game? Absolutely. Here we go. Person number one, malware or not, Britney Spears. Oh, malware. <laughs> Britney is spam. Have no doubt about it. <laughs> She, she started out as a simple email program, and she's developed into heinous mailbox inbox dealing spam. 
All right, number two is Microsoft chairman Bill Gates. You know, Bill Gates actually, I would say, is a cured virus because the, our notice that we've given him has gone down considerably since he quit being the richest man in the world. But, you know, that position of the most annoying rich man in the world <laughs> has gone from Mr. Gates to the richest is now Mexican telecommunications oh, icon right. tycoon yeah. Carlos Slim. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> I love that. He's named Carlos Slim. He's a David Letterman routine. So, yes, he's absolutely a spam. Carlos has taken over for Gates. Gates, of course, is off doing good in the world, which is you've got to admire wherever it happens. Right, indeed. Uh, well, maybe as a sort of a counterpoint, number three is Apple founder Steve Jobs. Are we talking about real Steve Jobs here or fake Steve Jobs? <laughs> well, hey, you know, fake Steve Jobs is kind of interesting, too. Let's go with real Steve Jobs first, though. Okay, but you know I am not fake Steve Jobs. All right. Okay, I just thought I would say that. We all know who <laughs> fake Steve Jobs is, but it's you have to say that. Real Steve Jobs? Real Steve Jobs is a survivor. He makes really sexy products. Uh, I don't really think there's a downside on the... I don't think he's hiding anything. I think he's just trying to make nice products. I, I would not consider Steve Jobs to be a, uh, a virus. Okay. All right, number four is uh, San Francisco Giants, Barry Bonds. Barry Bonds. Well, Barry Bonds could be considered malware, but uh, malware that has a single shot like a Trojan horse or a botnet. I would say Barry Bonds is a bot. Okay. Uh, and Mr. Bonds, I'm sorry. It's, uh, you don't, please don't uh, take offense at that. <laughs> uh, okay, number five. Finally, it's the President of the United States, George Bush. I refuse to answer this question on the grounds that it may tend to incriminate me. <laughs> Mr. Bush, no, I have no opinion about Mr. Bush whatsoever. I'm saying that with a smile on my face. All right, very good. Well, Mr. Perry, I do want to thank you for sticking around playing our game and, of course, talking about all the uh, fascinating developments in computer malware. All right, thank you very much. It was certainly a pleasure. Thank you. Mm -hmm. All right, and now, straight from Dagobah, we have here in the studio, Jedi Master Yoda. Mm. Mind tricks work on me, they will not. Mm. <laughs> Strong the force I sense, but power of the chemical, I feel. Mm. Yes, well, you know, everybody's wondering about these chemicals, especially the ones that make... What is this sodium pentobarbital everybody talks about? Mm. Pentobarbital, you say. Mm. Dark side of force, I feel. Confuse me, it does. As deadly as the Emperor. <laughs> Hide in Dagobah, I must. Wow. All right, well, we'll try not to use the sodium pinbar then, Yoda. Thanks a lot for the advice. And may the force be with you. And with you. And that's all for this week's edition of Berkeley Grox. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here at Berkeley Grox, you can email us at grox at hotmail.com. For Berkeley Grox, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.grox.net. Have a great afternoon and stay tuned for more music. Okay.